Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Strain your eyes against the sky and find no trespass for a hundred miles. The rubber peeled from your brake to rim and no sign of wings on southern wind. If the boss is calling and bills are due, but there'll be no chores until you're through. If your boots are east and west or in between on frozen rock or soggy green. If the birds are calling and smoke is due and there'll be no rest until you're through. If the treasure you seek is in the hunt, You've arrived at the foul front. You good to go? Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Got my whiskey right here. So. Got your twisted tea. I actually have a giant twisted tea down in the car that my wife got. <laughs> and I thought about drinking it during this, but I don't want to go all the way downstairs and get it. You know, I drink. Uh, anyways. All right. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one, go. And hello, welcome to another edition of the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Hunting Podcast. Although, I don't know how much waterfowl hunting three quarters of us have been doing versus maybe just Matt. But uh, <laughs> with that being said, it is just Matt and I tonight. So I think Thomas is actually out shooting things. Um, I don't know if Ben's out shooting stuff. I don't know. He's not. He, he's playing dad right now. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the things he has been trying to shoot are mostly in the, in the deer side of things ew i know right like i only need to shoot i only need to shoot one deer a year personally just to get some venison in the freezer yeah and i'm okay like that's after that i'm I'm really not interested that's where i'm at and for you know for the last few years i would take off a weekend to go rifle hunting here in nebraska for deer this year i didn't even do that i took off two afternoons i went goose hunting well i guess the weekend I went back to go rifle hunting the first weekend or the first day I got the blind ready. I got, you know, got our pit blind ready and I got, got her all, you know, got all, hauled all the decoys out there and got them all filled up and everything. And the next day we hunted it, shot a goose. And then I shot my buck that afternoon or that evening. So, um, you know, cause usually when I'm sitting in the deer blind, I'll be looking up and I'll just see tons and tons of geese and ducks. And I'm like, they, they know. It's like they know, you know, they're they're torturing me. (laughs) Well, and you live in a pretty good area of the country that has, I would, I would go out on a limb here and say like pretty high, decent, better than average quality compared to like where I'm from in the East. So like out East, um, you know, I grew up in Tennessee, lived in Georgia, Florida, like not renowned duck hunting States. Um, and really not even around deer hunting states unless you're on like QDMA. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's great places to go and kill deer in, in, in Tennessee and in Georgia, but it's, it's not as accessible. I would argue as if you're like lodged in Nebraska, like you are with all the contacts you have where you can go out for an afternoon and have a decent chance at a pretty decent, uh, large buck, you know, I mean, tell me, do you think I'm wrong on that? Yeah. I mean, let's not pump up Nebraska too much. Like there's a lot better States out there like Kansas and South Dakota, North Dakota. If anyone wants to go deer hunting or any hunting, I would recommend going to those States first. I'm just kidding, but, uh, no, Nebra- <laughs> it, it's my this is my it's, spot. <laughs> I mean, it really is funny. You know, I'll go on these Facebook groups and these forums and stuff and everyone's, there'll be questions like what States do you want to hunt most? And it's always Kansas or Dakotas. And I'm like, yes. Like silently fist pumping like the other side, like, or yeah. audibly because Facebook can't hear you yet. Go go to Arkansas. 
don't come to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we could we could talk on that on those Facebook groups, but you know, I, like so for me to go deer hunting the way that, so in Texas it was in Texas it was accessible but really expensive. Um, you know, like the, the public Texas deer hunting where I was at San Antonio was not great. Uh, once again, you kind of have to know people. I had family land I could go deer hunt on, but it was like an hour and a half away, so it, it was a it was a project to go do it. You know, for me personally, if I don't have if it's not accessible. Um, then I, I won't do it very often. And then at that point, I might as well just pay good money and go on a trip, you know, just go on a trip yeah. and, 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 and have one or two really good opportunities, really good experiences. So, you know, up here in Virginia, it's kind of the same way. Like I don't have terribly great access to a lot of deer hunting. Um, that's, that's nearby. My duck lease is actually closer here than it was in Texas, which is nice. Uh, but the duck hunting here is, uh, it's a little slow. It's really slow. Well, hey, it's going to look a lot better next year, isn't it? When I'm not here anymore? When? Well, I mean, compared <laughs> to where you're moving to. I, I don't know, man. I got to be honest with you. I, I see, you know, people up here, they, and you know, you and I talked about wood ducks before. People up here like talk about, oh, you know, I don't want to shoot woodies. I don't want to shoot woodies. And I'm like, I'll sit in a woody swamp all day long. And like, if I shoot my three or four, if I shoot three woodies or I forgot what the limit is in Georgia, I, I, that's a good day. Like if I could go and reliably yeah. shoot two or three ducks, um, I'm not upset with that. I'm not upset with those numbers. Um, yeah. Versus like today, I mean, there's people going out up here right now. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's places in Virginia people are doing okay. Um, but you know, just so happens where I'm at, like on the coast, uh, east to 95, it just hasn't been cold enough yet. Like it, has, it hasn't pushed enough of the big divers down here. Uh, to honestly make it worth going out most days, you know, it's like by the time it, you go through all the pain. It sounds like that might change for you though. I've been looking at the, uh, long-term forecast or whatever, and it looks like that polar vortex is going to dip in here this next week or so. And it's looking like the East coast. I don't think it's going to do much for us except maybe freeze up Canada finally. So we have a week of duck hunting, but it looks like the East coast is going to finally get some cold weather fingers crossed for you guys, but it'd be, it'd be nice, but I'll tell you like this weekend, I'm hedging my bets. I'm actually going to the Jersey shore this weekend to go uh, hunt some brand. So I didn't oh, know man. this, you know, but there is, there is a ton of water. You know, one of the goals about living here has been just getting familiar with the waterfowl culture. There is a ton of waterfowl culture on the Jersey shore you know, the Maryland, you know, Chesapeake Bay, obviously, the Tidewater, like up through Virginia. Um, that Haverty Grace has the decoy museum in it. You know, so I'm going out to the Jersey Shore because uh, they've got Brant out there, which I've never even seen a Brant in real life. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, that'll be fun. And and they, and then Black Ducks, you know, they've got a ton of Black Ducks there. Um, and they got a ton of Black Ducks here in Virginia, too. I mean, like I could reasonably go out and, and shoot a Black Duck here. Uh, even on my lease, it just hasn't, the opportunity hasn't really presented itself for what I've been doing. But, um, so I'm hedging my bets. I'm going to go North this week and then I'm going to try to hunt the Chesapeake Bay as well. More to come on that, more to follow. So nice. It'll be a good time. But anyways, what are we here talking about today? Now that we've like recapped our last, uh, week of misery. Well, it's, it's funny you say that here because in Nebraska, it's been pretty stale and, that's kind of segues into what our topic is, is late season waterfowl hunting and how, I mean, these birds, we'll, we'll just preface it real quick here. These birds have seen a lot more than likely. I mean, you're not typically hunting new birds. You're hunting birds that have been in the area for quite a while, which we are. I think a lot of people across the country are. They're, they're not really moving because there's no cold fronts. There's no snow on the food. So they're not moving south. They're still Why birds they north of us. Yeah, why would they, why go anywhere? You know, ducks are like people in a lot of senses. Like, they're only going to go as far as they need to go to get the, to get their basics. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, ducks, all, all animals are lazy, honestly. I mean, when you think about it, they're going to go the point of least resistance. Humans, no, no different than that either, you know, uh, but unless they're forced differently. But ducks, you know, if you don't have to move geese, if you don't have to move, you can get up and you can fly over this nice cornfield up in North Dakota or Alberta or Saskatchewan or whatever. Why would you fly hundreds of miles south to do the same thing if you don't have to? Cold now, temps, so, they don't really care. 
Now, some birds, though, you know, there are birds out there, and you can see it through the banding. You know, I love watching. I love seeing people post their band stuff on Facebook. You know, some birds are kind of like teal, for example. Like teal, they get a whiff of cold air, and they can't get south fast enough. You know, they yeah. they, they beeline to the coast. And there's there's members of every population. I mean, that's why like my buddies in Texas are cleaning up down on the coast. You know, they're they're doing great. Uh, you know, so there are populations of birds that are automatics. You know, they're going to go as far as they can. But there's there's a good deal of the other ones too that are just not going to go you know, where they're not going to go. And late season, um, it does bring about a unique set of challenges that I think, you know, hunters, in order to continue to be successful, have to adapt to those things uh, and realize that when you're hunting, when you're hunting early season birds, they're going to be a little bit different than mid and they're going to be a little bit different than late season, especially for weather's changing, you know? So it's a great topic. I'm excited about it. So what's the first, uh, what's the first thing in the hopper? So the first thing is, and this is typically assuming it's a colder year than now, uh, you know, assuming most of the ducks and geese by now have reached at least Nebraska, if not Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas areas, find open water, find those hidden spots. So what I mean by that is if you're froze up, find those warm water sloughs, find those heated ponds, quotation marks that people like to claim we have up here. Um, find, find those spots that are open waters that can allow birds to still roost in your area and, you know, kind of a headquarters for them. And then they can go and feed and find areas. You find those areas, you're going to find the birds, uh, the hidden spots I'm talking about as well. Even if you're not froze up, you want to find spots that are unpressured. So this could be a property that maybe you have access to that hasn't been hunted all year. I know that's pretty much looking for a unicorn. Um, it could be some public ground that for whatever reason has been inaccessible until late season. It could be, I mean, there, there's, there's no limit of things as things freeze up, especially rivers and creeks and stuff. There's going to be little pockets of open water. The birds either keep them open, springs, keep them open, whatever you find those areas. You're gonna, I mean, you're gonna have a better chance of finding birds. Yeah. And another important note on this, you know, you mentioned roosts. I would say scouting in this sense also gets very important when you're looking to see where birds are roosting, you know, so if you got like truly big water, big reservoirs and stuff like that, uh, your ability to go out and hunt where they're roosting is probably be fairly limited, but I'd, I'd be very careful to see, you know, if you've got a big pond or something in open water, like I, I know here, um, the guys that I hunt with up here, they're very diligent about spot rotation. Like they won't go and they won't hammer, like it, it's a mortal sin to hunt the roost here. Because that's what runs, you know, like that, then the ducks are not coming back. Like you're going to push them off. And if you hunt the roost, yeah. so, you know, I would say just be cognizant when you're scouting out here, you know, those spots where they're going to feed, those spots where they're going to roost, you know, for as much as you can see it. Now, just keep in mind that if you only got, you know, if you're going to go roost shoot, um, you might get one, maybe two, you know, shoots off that thing. And then chances are good they're not coming back uh, to that spot again if they're resting there and there's not food. Um, so just pay attention to that, especially in late season, if you're getting somewhere that's icy and your water starting to get limited as much as you can, I just say, keep it in the back of your mind. You can shoot a roost that'll sometimes get you disinvited, uh, with your buddies that invited you. Uh, and two, you may only have one or two good hunts. Now, if it's the last day of the season, I can knock yourself out. So yeah, that, and that, you know, that's, I guess, yeah, we can tie scouting back into this. You know, if you can, if you can locate the roost, if you can locate the feeds and the loaf areas, which I mean, it's not much different than typical scouting. It's just can be a little easier because there's less places for them to go. You know, they're either sitting on moving water that's open or big reservoirs that still have open water in the middle somewhere. Typically, at least in my area, I mean, it varies from area to area. Um, but what you want to look for out there when you're scouting, like on rivers and creeks and sloughs and whatnot for the roost spots or just areas where they've been is you want to look for tracks, scat, uh, feathers, live birds, just all, you know, I mean, typical scouting stuff, but it bears, you know, it bears reiterating here, um, going for late season as well. Sure. Yeah. It's, it is, uh, you know, for, for you guys where it gets real cold, you know, in the South, um, it never, you know, where I hunted in Texas, it never really froze up, you know, the whole lake stayed open, but what did change. So for some of you that are on like uh, reservoirs with flood control, they're going to start drawing the lakes down. Um, right now, you know, for the, for the spring, uh, rains. So that might be changing up where you're, you're looking. I know like where I grew up, um, they would pull the lakes down like six, seven feet, um, which would really change kind of the, what it would open up. And sometimes it open up some food, sometimes it wouldn't, uh, but it could change your spot geography quite a bit. So kind of bear that in mind too, if you're hunting those lakes and a lot of you that are, you know, lived there before you're familiar with this, those of you that might be moving to areas, um, you know, if you're, if you're hunting on a flood control reservoir, it might start changing up. Um, 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much, you know, as far as I've got on the water and the scouting and everything, just kind of keeping in mind the freezing temperatures. And if you've got ice eaters, put them out. Yeah, let's. I guess let's move on. Um, so late season, another thing that can really help you, as we've said, you know, the birds are going to be super pressured, typically super educated. One thing that can even the playing field for you is the weather. Um, typically, you want to look and see what the forecast looks like. If it looks like this year, you're going to be cursing the weatherman. But uh, things you want to look for is just changes in the weather. Like, for instance, today here in Nebraska, it was 64 degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to be a high of 40 with almost 60 mile an hour northwest winds. So, tip, yes, I am going hunting tomorrow. But uh, you want you want to look for those changes in the weather. That'll That'll make the birds do something different, especially if there's precipitation or thick cloud cover like fog or snow, especially. I love my snow hunts, uh, especially if you mix them in with wind. Those birds, when they get up, they want to come and they want to look around. They want to dump in quicker. It helps convince them. Plus, it's a lot easier to hide a lot of stuff in the snow. Um, I, I mean, it, it, the, the, just the change in the weather really can get the birds in a lot better mood to land and decoy and work compared to sunny and still or light winds that the you know the January thaw can <laughs> can have. I definitely pay, you know, I definitely get more excited about hunting. You know, most of us can't control the days that we can and can't hunt. You know, like you, you pretty much have your Saturday or you have your Sunday, or if you're in places like where I'm at, you don't even have Sunday on public land. So, yeah. um, you know, you get your one day a week to get out. But, you know, I will say like, if it's been like, if there's going to be that cold front, there's going to be that weather coming in. I get pretty excited about, especially the low clouds, like you said, because it's going to keep them moving around. Not that much different, um, not that much different than, uh, you know, early season, but I will say the big thing in late season, especially if you get a good cold push that comes through, locks up some water up north, you're going to start seeing new birds. Um, and if the, and if you combine that with like that low overcast day, um, then it, it's probably going to sum up to be a really good shoot for you. Yeah. And I guess another thing that we could add is if it's been, you know, in a typical year, it'll be cold in January, but there is a thing called a January thaw. And typically that'll lead to what we call is a reverse migration, wherein birds that have already migrated through your area will come back up. Now, have those birds been through your area once this year? Yes. But are they fairly new back to the area? Also, yes. So basically you're hunting, I guess the birds don't really get as educated moving down. I mean, to a point they do, they understand decoy spreads and, you know, spinners and whatnot, but it's when they're new to an area, they don't realize what are safe areas, like what are refuges and what are not. So that's kind of what the difference is. I mean, yeah, they're smarter birds. They, they, they hear bad calling. They hear, you know, they, they recognize, um, your lack of concealment. They, they recognize decoy spread patterns and whatnot, but when they come back into a new area, they haven't been to for weeks that can, that just that little change can be the impetus for them coming into your spread. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you mentioned something in there too, about how they recognize bad calling. And I think that the, the calling, you know, I don't know. Do you have any more else? Do you have anything else to add on the, on the water piece before we move on to that? On the, on the weather? Uh, no, I mean, just, I mean, you can't really control it, especially if you have limited vacation days, you can only hunt the weekends or whatnot. Uh, but if you can hunt those, what some people consider bad weather days, thick fog, high winds, snow, freezing rain, sleet, those are probably going to be your better days. It's going to, you know, it'll, it'll make those birds kind of more, uh, more likely to dump in your spread. Uh, yeah. But let, let's, con- let's transition over to the calling now, because that is, a big part of late season hunting. That's another, that leads us into our next tip, actually, Alex, if you want to. Yeah. So that's probably like, so that's probably my biggest, I make two major changes. Um, when I, you know, firmly transition over to late season is what I'll call it. You know, usually for me, um, it depends on the splits, you know, I would say if you've got a first split, that's what I consider to be early season. When the second split opens up, I would say for when the second split opens till about Christmas and the first of the year, that's when I start to consider like kind of their mid season. And then after that, everything after is in my book, kind of starting to get late season, you know, about this point in January to the close of the season, you're starting to get late. And this is the point where I really start um, experimenting a little bit more with my calling, specifically the reduction of calling. Um, 
more often than not, and, and really, you know, last year when I would take people out, I used to only bring my whistle with me. I would only bring my, my pintail whistle, you know, or my three in one. Uh, and I would hardly ever touch uh, a mallard call for anything, you know, or, or you know, a regular duck call because I noticed that I was far more successful sounding a little bit different, you know, and being a lot more subtle. Um, and just one, it's, you know, how does that saying go? Like, uh, you know, keep your mouth shut and let everybody think you're a fool as opposed to opening it and confirming it. It's kind of the same <laughs> way, kind of the same way in duck hunting, you know, like it's, it, it, I think it's more often better to err on the side of not calling as much or not at all. Um, and just watch and be a lot, be a lot more attentive to what you're seeing the birds respond to versus going out there and, and, and cracking on those calls like you would uh, maybe earlier in the season. I don't know what are your thoughts. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you basically hit the, the nail on the head here and you hit a lot of points. I'm going to address one main one though is be different. Okay, these birds, especially early season, mid-season, people are just hammering on hail calls. They listen to those competition callers. That's not what a duck sounds like. <laughs> you know, you, you don't just hammer on them. You don't get super aggressive with them. That's, if you want to listen and know what actual birds sound like, go out, sit out in the marsh at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever, and just listen. Don't even throw decoys out. Don't do anything else. Just listen. You can do it before duck season. You can do it after duck season closes. But that will tell you how actual birds sound like if you if you know where they're at, actually. Um, but going off of that, yeah, ease up. You know, I, I do the same thing. You, you, you lay off the calls. The only thing you really do the mallard calls for, at least what I use them for, is the comeback. You know, if they're going away, what are you going to lose? Give them a little comeback. A lot sure. of times you can hook them back in there, especially if it's a single drake. Um, if the other one I like is the whistle. I love the whistle. Yeah, uh, teal, yeah teal whistle, drake whistle. A lot of people don't utilize it. They don't utilize it as enough. If a lot of people would just shut up, put the regular duck call away, and just utilize the whistle, I think they would kill more ducks or not use a call at all, honestly. There's nothing wrong with going quiet, quiet especially late season because these, these birds are pressured. They're spooky, especially if there's not a lot of wind that day, sunny or cloudy. It don't, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. Cloudy days, it's easier for them to pick you out, but they're, they're, they're really spooky. And when you're calling, it gives them a place to kind of key in on. They can look down and be like, oh, I see this darker blob in this pile of cattails or tulies or whatever. That's obviously a person. And this is a hunter spread. So I'm going to keep flying. Well, not if you've got Optifade on. No. Oh my gosh. Don't even. <laughs> no, but you know, so I, I use a high roller. I, um, so, you know, I, I bought a, you know, I've tried a lot of different whistles out, you know, I've tried the duck commander whistle. I even have a, you know, up here, I was looking on my shelf. I've got a old, uh, old wooden pintail whistle up here on my call shelf and, uh, and another like a Haydell or something like that. Uh, but I found that I like the high roller because it has, I don't know if you haven't used that one to me, it does a really, it, it does a really good pintail. Um, cause it's got, it, it literally has a little roller almost like, you know, your coach's whistle, which by the way, if you don't have a whistle, you got a dog or you got a, you know, regular like sporting whistle. That'll work just fine. In fact, yeah. I'll go that way. Um, I, you know, the way I'll start off with the whistle, especially is if I'm trying to get their attention is I'll just go with the highest pitch one I've got, like the highest pitch teal peep, peep, peep. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, most of the time they hear that. And then, um, you know, if they get in a little bit closer, if I, if I have a bird that's working closer, but, you know, maybe isn't picking me out because I'm in a little bit more dense cover or my spot's pretty small. Then, uh, then I'll just kind of go to the regular teal or even a mallard drake. You know, if you get pretty good on those whistles, you can do, you know, several different species of ducks. And I found that to be pretty effective. Another thing outside of the whistle is just use one of your uh, teal calls, one of those uh, high-pitched, you know, peep and teal calls. Uh, the one that's not the whistle. I forget which one that is. If it was the green or the blue wing, I get them to me. Typically, blue wing. I think. Yeah, yeah, blue wing. That's it. Uh, you can use a blue wing talk because you sound different. You know, a lot of people put those things up at the end of teal season. They don't touch them again. Hey guys, a lot of teal are still flying around out there, um, and and ducks will respond to that too. And so it, it sounds different. It sounds like a duck, um, and it's something that um, that they will recognize and has worked for me. And like I said, it blew clients' minds when I wouldn't have a mallard call on my lanyard this time of year. Yeah, and I guess you know it goes back to trying to be as realistic as possible or not being like you said, you know, open your mouth uh, or what it was, shut up and 
<laughs> let them think you're an idiot, open your mouth and confirm it or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, that, it really does go into that. Um, and I guess we'll transition here with the realism aspect. We'll go into decoy spread here. Ooh. Uh, big change number two for me. Big change. That's right. So now I know you guys don't know what mallards are over there in the Atlantic Flyway, but where we have a lot of greenheads over here. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. So I was actually, there's more greenheads. I've seen more greenheads here than I've seen, uh, than I've seen it down in, in Texas, the part of Texas I was hunting. Don't be telling people that now. They're going to start complaining. Oh, that's a good point. Sorry. <laughs> no greenheads in Virginia. No mallards <laughs> in the Atlantic Flyway. But <laughs> yeah. in the Central Flyway, where we still have mallards, uh, I like to, I like to uh, typically, you know, it's late season. The breeding season is coming up on us. So these birds are starting to pair up or are already paired up, you know, typically. They're, they're already paired up. So what I like to do in my spread is I'll – either run a really small spread, you know, six, 12 decoys max. I'll grab a hen and a drake, set those right next to each other, go down a little bit, another hen and a drake, maybe have another drake chase, like like they're kind of fighting for her, and then just keep doing that, especially if it's in like small water, a heated slough or something like that, a little crick. Those heated uh, sloughs you've got up there are nice. Yeah, they're they're pretty nice. I mean, they're, we got to turn the thermometer up every now and then, but... <laughs> It's real. It's really nice as you drain those heated sloughs and get that standing corn in them too. It's amazing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the secret. <laughs> um. So I will say I don't know about you. I actually have decoys. I I have set aside for late season. Um. I have I have a set of. Well, up until just the other day, I was running. I had a, a dozen uh, flocked avian magnum mallards, like the mm -hmm. big guys. Um, they do not go out during the regular season. They stay like in their slot bag. These are the only deeks, by the way, that I keep in a slot bag are, uh, are my late seasons. And they're, they're the cleanest, freshest looking ones. And they're a little bit bigger because I will run no more than a dozen at a time. Um, I have recently transitioned in the spirit of, of the East coast over to LLB and coastal Magnum corks, uh, decoys, even though they're a lot bigger, um, and they stay in a slot bag, but that's more from a heritage standpoint, you know, from an effective standpoint, but I have seen, you know, if you, you know, this is a time of a season where if you've been out a lot, your deeks that you, your, your regular gunners are probably pretty beat up. Um, and, and, and they're probably starting to, to have some mud on them or they're probably starting to get a little bit dingy or paints chipping. Um, this is where you get those fresh decoys out and maybe you look a little bit more real than the guy next to you in the slough. So, I don't know. Do you have a do you have a do you have a, a late season set? I, I mean, not really. I mean, I guess kind of. Um, you know, early season, I don't run most of my mallards, and what I'm running are avian X. There's, I got a couple of varieties. I got like a rester rester sleeper series, and then a, I think they're called backwater series that basically yeah. look like they're feeders. Yeah. Um. So I'll run those every now and then, mid season, starting about mid season but those are typically all I run and I'll throw in maybe some teal or a pintail here and there. Uh, I don't have any that I save back, but that is a good point. You know, you, you want your best looking deeks late season. Cause like we've said, these birds are educated. They've seen pretty much everything in the book. So you've got to rewrite the book on them and, you know, give them, give them the best, you give them your best, honestly. Yeah, and it's, that's the term, you know, the term I've heard, you know, that they use, at least for the diver spreads, is you get your gunners, you get your gunning decoys, you know, the ones that are just the working birds that go out there and they, I mean, they look the part too by the end of the season. Uh, you know, when I was in Texas, my puddle duck spread, this is, you know, I would have those avians were the ones I kept back, those flocked in the, in the, in the bag. But, you know, we didn't have a lot of mallards, you know, I, I kept mallards in my spread for color. But what I had in Texas was an assortment of pintails. So I always, I kept pintails just nice and bright and they had the bigger ones yep. set aside. I had some widgeons for the same reason. Um, the teal, you know, honestly, I can't say that I chucked a whole lot of teal this time of year because or in, in Texas. Now they're still around, but teal will come to big ducks just as much as they'll go to themselves. And so yeah. I, I would filter the teal out and then I, I really ran and I had some gadwall. I had some big Dakota Magnum gadwall. Um, that were flocked as well. Uh, no, they weren't flocked. They were, but they were you know, the big guys. And, and I kept like a dozen of them on the boat 
and that was what I ran. Um, and they were, they were pretty looking deeks. Um, and, and they, and they really, and I also, you know, I stepped up to the Magnum size too, because since I, I figured since I'm not having to carry a ton of them in a bag and I'm carrying fewer decoys, then I'll make up for a little bit with the size and the visibility. And, and that's, you know, I don't know if you've seen these LLB and coastal corks. These things are giant. Like they, they make, they look like a mini goose. I mean, honestly, they're almost like a goose decoy with a duck out on them. I'm going to, I'm going to look them up real quick. Oh LLB yeah. Bean coastal cork. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the pictures online don't do them the same justice, but so here's, so here's a, like, this is, this is my Myers. If you guys haven't seen Myers, oh, I, I mean, these things are, they're big. Um, I mean, this is like next to my head, you know, it's, it's giant. Yeah. So the coastal corks are bigger than these. They're bigger than a Herder 72. Uh, Dang. And so they, they, they look good on the water and, and they, you know, they really stand out. And then if you're only running and here's the thing, if you're a walk-in hunter and you're only going to bring a dozen this, you know, this year or, or uh, this time of year, then step it up to a dozen bigger deeks. If you can, if you can swing it or keep an eye out for them. Uh, if you see them on sale, especially here in about a month, everything will be on sale and you can pick up some decoys really cheap. So that's my technique. It's worked for me in the past. Uh, I expect it will continue to work for me. So yeah, there you go. So Here. I'll tell you when I'm hunting. So I, I, we mentioned smaller spreads, that's not the only way to get late season birds. Sometimes you can go big spreads, but I don't use duck decoys for that. Mm. I'll use a few, but what I really like is to mix geese in and a lot of geese. So I'll take two dozen shells. I'll last, last week I just did this. I got, I should have had a limit if I could have hit the broadside of a barn, but I ended with a goose and four ducks, uh, story for another day, but five dozen silhouettes I took out and then about a dozen sleeper shells and a couple floater goose floaters. And I mixed them in with about a dozen and a half duck decoys and the ducks loved it with zero wind, mind you, no wind, cloudy overcast day literally the worst conditions you could duck hunt in late season and still shot four ducks and a goose yeah I've, I, you know i've definitely heard you know some people say that the goose decoy is the original magnum duck decoy so yeah i mean that's something that i've seen up here a lot a lot of people run you know a few dozen um you know or a half dozen or a dozen geese in their spread um if you got to carry it if you're walking in i'll tell you like I used to keep uh, a couple of spec decoys for the same reason um, in Texas, even though like I never once decoyed a spec where I hunted, but I kept them there. Uh, I, I shot spec, I shot specs there, but not over my own spreads. You know, they were, they weren't just really going to where I was at, but I kept them in the spread and they worked, um, you know, at least for the visibility purpose. But yeah, I've, I've heard that, um, you know, every duck loves a, loves a goose decoy because geese are just more wary. You know, the science for understanding the science quote unquote behind that is, you know, geese are, geese are a lot more wary about where they're going to go. And so they're almost like the automatic security for a duck. Like a duck knows that if there's a flock of geese sitting around that they're probably a pretty safe area. And for those of you that haven't seen it, like, you know, geese are pretty aggressive towards anything that comes around them anyway. So, yeah. um, I mean, if I was a duck, that'd make sense. Yep. So, uh, I'm, and you can, I mean, you can mix it up two other ways. If you got swans in your area, I mean, those are huge. I mean, you talk about visibility, you talk about a Magnum decoy. That's like a triple X super Magnum decoy right there. Yeah. The swan decoys. So like I've seen a few of those up here and those things are, they're ginormous and swans are, so they're like the closest thing I can imagine, like shooting a B 52, like watching one of those, I was out in the blind. Um, there was a guy that I hunted with the other about a, two weeks ago or so. He had a swan tag. I, did, I didn't get a swan tag this year. Uh, he had a swan tag to fill, and we put out a couple of big swan decoys. And about two um, – it was a heartbreaker. Two minutes before shooting light, these two just bomber swans just come in, like, right straight at the blind. And they're, those birds are so huge. Like, if you guys looked up pictures of them, for those of you that are listening, like, go, just go look at a hunter that's filled a swan tag. They're, they're bigger than crane. I mean, they're huge birds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their decoys are super visible and just like geese, they're, they're a very wary bird on the, on their own and uh, ducks find security in birds like that. They're almost like built in confidence decoys. Yeah. You just, I mean, it's, it's late season. You got to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, honestly. Um, but there are tip, you know, there are 
scout scouting plays a huge part of it as well. Um, but another thing that can really help you late season, especially if you're hunting a pond or a lake or something and it's completely froze up, but there are those warm water areas around that moving water around where those birds are roosting. So they're going to fly over those frozen areas is busting an ice hole. And that's our next one here. Well, one other thing, you know, we mentioned this before we leave the decoy thing. Um, this time of year, if you haven't already parked your spinner or the batteries have run out, I can't say that I've ever used a spinning decoy after January 1st. I, I can say that I'll, I'll go off on this here in a little bit. I can say that only in the thickest stuff, I guess would it be my best way. It's that thick weather, the, the snow, the, sure. fog, it, it just adds a little visibility, helps them key in on your spread. But yeah, late season, they've seen those spinners. I don't. I don't like them too much. So I had this technique. Um, I was hunting like in a, in a pretty small, you know, so we talked about going to small, you know, more concealed holes here. Uh, and the spot that I would hunt in late season last year was, was one of those places. It was probably no more than like 20, maybe 20 yards by 20 yards. And it was set back in some pretty thick brush, you know, like a timber type brush. So what I did is I actually carried some paracord and those flock of flickers, I, uh, I would I would string a flock of flicker up in a tree, uh, like throw a weight over, and then pull the flock of flicker up to the top of the tree, <laughs> and that worked. It was like it was like a little signal beacon, and I like and the reason why I like the flock of flickers for this is because they have the automatic timer on them where they they turn themselves on and off. You know, they they space out their actions, yeah. so it's not just this beacon that's up in a tree. But uh, that worked out really well for me <laughs> if I was buried in one of those places. And I just carried the one, um, no mojo in the spread, but just the flock of flicker in a tree, and it would pull birds. Uh, it was pretty – it worked. So you know, something you might give a try to late season if you're hunting in a dense, you know, spot like that. Yeah. So uh, back, back to the ice hole, though. Let's, this can be <laughs> – Sorry. This can be some of the best, hunt, like some of the best hunts, goose and duck I've ever had have been over ice holes. You take an ax, you chop them out, chainsaw. Um, I know some guys use ice eaters. You can, however you keep it open, hunting an ice hole can be very rewarding, especially if there's birds still in the area. I mean, and that's key. If everything else is froze and you're not seeing birds, honestly, I wouldn't waste, wouldn't waste your time making an ice hole because if there's no birds flying over it, what are you going to decoy? But if there's birds in the area, especially, I mean, November, early December, these days, uh, when it first caps up, you know, you get an inch of ice or whatever, busting that out. Um, there's still usually birds around that can be lights out. Like I just said, uh, when you're doing this though, you want to make sure you don't have like a lot of chunks of ice, both on top of the water and, you don't want them floating in the water. It, it just looks unnatural. You want it to look as natural as possible. And what I mean by that is you want smooth edges. You don't want jagged edges. You don't want jagged chunks sitting on top of the ice, especially on a sunny day that those, that just shines like a mirror. Those birds can see that. And like, that looks really weird. So, um, you know, if you can take a rake or something and rake those chunks up, try to keep the ice in one big sheet and slide it underneath the other ice chunks uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but, or break it up a couple of days early. And then if it's supposed to warm up a little bit, just let it melt out and it'll naturally smooth back out. We've, we've done all those to great success. Well, you uh, so as the resident below the Mason Dixon line hunter here, I've never dealt with ice holes. Like I've never, it's never been a problem for me. Um, so, but I do know guys up here that, you know, have hunted, have hunted them. And one of the things I've heard them say is like, when they go out and scout, if they found a good hole, they'll break the ice up earlier. And then if they've got an ice eater, they use homemade ice eaters on old trolling motors, which I've looked on Facebook marketplace. You can get an old trolling motor, like pretty inexpensive. And yeah. there's plenty of online plans to jerry rig one to run off a deep cycle battery. Um, they'll put the ice eaters out like the day before, just to keep the hole clean and clean up some of those edges you're talking about. Um, so that's, you know, techniques that I've heard secondhand. Uh, I've never had to worry about it. But I will say, you know, in the, in the, in the south, that we start seeing a little bit more water will come in. If it's, we've gotten heavy rains down here and like flooding out different spots, almost around the opposite problem where I've got more water than maybe I used to. But um, no, that's, that's interesting. Hopefully one of these days I'll get to go do one of these like famed ice hole hunts. Well, I'm telling you, when you can do it, 
the best way to do it is to put yes to bring full bodies or shells out and throw them on the ice because nothing looks better to birds i mean you look at birds on frozen lakes where there might be a hole there's a lot of them usually sleeping on the ice they're just sitting chilling on the ice walking around ducks and geese and then there'll be some you know you want to mix of floaters and then whatever else on the ice and you can even i've even ran silhouettes on the ice Hmm. um all you gotta do is you know rubber mallet tap them in obviously you want to make sure the ice is thick enough but uh other than that i mean it just looks so natural birds and birds just for whatever reason i mean they, they find this open water, they want to go to the open water. And if they can go chill out on the edge, like it's basically a swimming pool for ducks, ducks and geese, <laughs> the swimming pool, you know, they want to hang out there with their buddies and they want to splish and splash in the water and then go tan on the, on the ice shelf. I mean, if I thought about it from a, the perspective of a animal that's like, likes to be able to see what's around them, then an ice hole sounds pretty safe, right? Like if I've got this yeah. hole in the ice and, I, and there's not a, there's not a bush within a hundred yards of me, uh, I probably gonna feel pretty good about something not running out and grabbing me. So, I mean, I could see the appeal. I mean, yeah, and typically, well, I mean, you're not usually going to set out 100 yards away from a bush. You got to have a hide. Um, I know some guys will take layout blinds with snow covers if, yeah. if there's snow on the ice or if the ice is really white and they'll lay out like that. Um, some guys I know have even drug trees out on the ice and made a temporary blind like kind of lay out with cedar trees and whatnot out there. And they've had great success with that too. Other guys, you know, like I, I usually, when I do it, I just bust a hole right along the edge and then just really, really work on my hide, which I guess we can talk about that next. Look at that. That just worked out great. Man. Excellent transition. It's like you practiced. I know concealment. (laughs) Concealment late season is key. This this is probably the one tip that will make or break your hunts more often than not. If you are not concealed and by concealed, I mean everything you don't want. I mean, I don't want anything that doesn't look natural, that doesn't blend in to even because birds can pick it up. They can pick up the shine off a shotgun barrel, the shine off a GoPro camera, whatever. They will pick it out, especially on a sunny day, on a cloudy day where there's no shadow and they can look right in. They'll pick you out even faster. So you want to be as concealed as possible. And that doesn't mean just lay out with your camo, with your Sitka or whatever camo you have on in some cattails. No, you want top cover. You want front cover, back cover, everything. You cannot be camoed enough during late season. Yeah. So one of the things I did um, still do in the boat, I carry three different cans of Rust-Oleum, the camo ultra flat. Um, and I, you know, I can't, I can't say that I originated this tip. I actually got it, got it off of, uh, one of the very early duck commander episodes to credit this appropriately, but if it shines, it gets sprayed. doesn't matter what it is. I mean, <laughs> I keep, you know, I'll bring I, I, my favorite color, honestly, is they're olive drab green. It seems to like match into anything like olive greens, not really ever out of place. Um, and so, you know, I, I hit anything that shines on the boat, um, my gear, Everything in my duck spread uh, or everything, every part of my duck hunting to include my boat and my motor and, and all the things um, is basically designed to be hit with Rust-Oleum Ultra Flat camo. Like there is nothing on that boat minus maybe my depth finder that I'm not going to spray with, uh, with that camouflage. And so one of the best things to do with your concealment, especially if you're building a blind, and if you're out with other people, it helps to do this as well. Set your blind up um, and let's say you shoot a duck. I recommend at least one time during your hunt, preferably early, that you walk out, you know, especially if you don't have a dog, you're going to do this anyway, um, walk out and take a look back from a distance of about 20 to 25 yards and see what you see in your own hide uh, and your own blind spot. And it's kind of amazing because you sit there and you'll think like, I'm very concealed. I feel good about my concealment. I've got all my stuff here. Um, but then you walk back and you look and you're like, oh my gosh, I can see my thermos. Never would, you know, I thought that was mm-hmm. concealed. Um, I mind sprayed ultra flat olive green. So, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, like another instance, this is just happened to me last weekend, actually. Um, so I built this little temporary blind out of bushes and like trees and stuff out here on this hunting spot I was at. And I had it walled up across, like you couldn't see, you couldn't see my silhouette. All I had was a hole for me to shoot in. And I had a few ducks. If they came straight in and low, they would come right in. If they would circle, 
and I didn't move, I would have shooting opportunities, but they weren't ideal. And more often than not, if they came right above, they would flare off. They keep circling and then they'd come back over me and flare off. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to do. What, what do you do? Do you want to limit your shooting opportunities or do you want to be you know, expertly concealed? I chose the latter. I went out, found basically a giant tumbleweed and covered the whole shooting hole. I could see through the little sticks of the tumbleweed. The birds could not see into me. Basically, what I ended up doing the rest of the hunt is these singles and pairs would circle, circle. They'd circle once or twice, come right in, land, and then I'd one hand push the tumbleweed, like just launch this thing and pull up and shoot them as they were flushing off the water. And I mean, I got two, could have shot another hen like that. So, I mean, it worked, but ideally I would like to shoot them when they're cupping in. But sometimes, you know, you got to think outside the box. Is it better to jump them off the water? Or, I mean, some people probably would just water swat them, honestly, because could have probably done that through my blind. But um, is it better to have a flushing shot versus a cupping in shot? If you, I mean, you might not even get those cupping in shots unless you're expertly concealed. Yeah. I carry, you know, the other thing that I kept in my boat um, was camo netting. You know, I picked up the the good. Yeah. There is good and there is bad camo netting, by the way. And I picked up some of the good stuff. Um, and I did, you know, a lot of times you got to check it. If you're going to get camo netting, you know, you can usually find it. Army surplus stores will have it sometimes. What I'd say is check uh, army surplus stores. Honestly, have what I would consider to be the most durable and the best stuff. Um, but you got to make sure that they don't have the little metal brads on it. You know, that you can see where sometimes they've, they've, crimped it together those metal brads will shine uh but i kept a lot of camo netting in and 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 concealed with that you know like if there's a hole throw some camo netting and then some branches over it, just kind of break that outline up but that's a really useful tool i know some folks like burlap the problem i have with burlap is that it doesn't like to stick to things you know like if you if you have a piece of camo netting like you could pretty much hang it from anything that bristles with a branch Burlap, not really. You have to carry some zip ties or some other means that yeah. that means you've got to clean it up at the end of the day. Where camo netting, you just kind of drape it over stuff and it'll it'll hold. So I always kept a, you know, for I used to hide my 18-foot boat completely with camo netting and throw branches over it. So I had a lot of it around. You know, now um, the blinds I hunt with actually have boat hides. It's pretty, pretty convenient. They build boat blinds that you just pull into like a garage. Um but I still have a lot of that camo netting that if I were to walk in, I'd carry with me. So just something to keep in mind and keep in your trick. The other thing to be cognizant of is your shot shells. If you're shooting those bright, you know, if you're, you're 28 gauge, I forgot what color 28 gauge, but 20 gauge, red, red 20, you know, 20 gauge are usually yellow. Uh, you 16 gauges with your purple holes out there might be a little bit lucky. Uh, but most of us are shooting these red uh, shells. You know, if you're shooting a semi-auto and it's chucking them way out of the blind, uh, and you've done a lot of shooting, like you might want to go pick some of those up because you're going to just have a big red flag out on ice. And that that's another, I mean, people should pick up their shells regardless, but that's another reason to pick up your shells, especially on a sunny day, because that brass is going to shine. Yeah. And if you've been shooting a lot, it's going to shine a lot. And it, that does not look natural. And that's just one more thing for them to flare off of. Yeah, but, I normally wouldn't even bring it, bring up picking up your shells in a hunt uh, or during the hunt. I always pick them up after, uh, but late season, I guess I've noticed it matters a little bit more. Yep. And I guess we're almost, we're almost done here. We're, we're kind of into the other category now, I guess. Um, you know, we, we can't really preach concealment enough that honestly, if you take one thing away from this podcast is you want to be expertly hidden. We have a whole episode on concealment that we did last year that I would consider to be a fairly timeless one that Ben and I did where we talk about all the different concealment techniques we've used to. So if that's something you want to learn more about, you can go back on our log and check that. Yep. But now, like I said, now we're into kind of the other, it doesn't really fit into any particular category. It's just kind of quick, quick tips here. So I'll just knock them out real quick. One dress warm, wear layers, kind of, basic knowledge, but late season, typically you can be, uh, you know, it can be super cold. I've hunted in temps of negative 20 before negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And sometimes it can be super warm or it can be cold and then warm up early in the morning. Uh, so you want to wear those layers so you can shed them. Otherwise, you know, if you wear a coat or super heavy coat, you might get too cold, might be too hot. Um, and 
you want, you don't want to put all them layers on first thing in the morning. If you have to do a lot of work, you know, if you, if you haul out, if you have to walk a mile or something, hauling, pulling a decoy sled or a cart or something full of decoys, you're going to sweat a lot. So you don't want to, you don't want to get chilled early on, you know, just wear your sweatshirt first on something like that. Uh, next up, and this is an important one. It's really easy to do when it's cold out, like it is late season. Typically stay hydrated. It's really easy, especially you drinking a lot of coffee, energy drinks, whatever. It's really easy to get dehydrated. It's cold. You don't think you're as thirsty as you are. You lose a lot of water, especially if you're like, as just said, packing in a long ways, chasing after ducks, putting, you know, chasing decoys, whatever, even just being in the cold you're going to get dehydrated. So make sure you're drinking plenty of fluids. Uh, it'll just save you a lot of troubles in the long run. And finally, and this is probably another, this probably could have been a whole nother tip on its own. Keep your gun clean and use no, no which lubricants to use. Like for example, don't use rim oil. I'm not trying to put them on blast, but when it gets below a certain temperature, that stuff gels up and it will make it so your firing pin doesn't go through and you barely put an indent into the primer of your shells. And I have video proof of this happening because I was an idiot and used rim oil and it was cold and it did that. So I keep, uh, I keep a couple of things in my duck bag. I keep uh, some hops, gun medic. Um, you know, it's, it, by the way, that gun medic's some pretty like vicious stuff as far as what it'll clean and break and, but it, it's great. I mean, it'll really do the trick. Um, I keep that and I keep CLP. I'm a big believer in CLP. Um, it's never let me down. So I keep a lot of, I keep CLP in my bag. Uh, just bought a fresh can the other day of the good stuff. Um, and, you know, this is the time of year, you know, if you're like me and you shoot brownings and they'll chew up whatever you want for as long as you want them to. And this is, you know, the time probably, uh, it would be good to go bring your gun in. Um, strip it down, give it a good cleaning, you know, before you start your second half of the season, because it's probably taking some abuse up to this point. And the combination of cold, uh, along with the, the, the congealing of your lubricants, <laughs> and then it can, it can add to be, um, you know, can add, add up to be something that uh, re results in shells not doing their job. Um, before we leave, though, I am going to bring up one other thing. And um, it's, a, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. In fact, the first episode of the foul front outdoors I ever did was with regards to safety. Um, late season duck hunting safety can't be overemphasized. You know, you most of us probably started off the season uh, with it maybe being a little bit warmer. Uh, guys, the margin of error, guys and gals, the margin of error now is pretty well gone for most of us. Uh, all over the country for water uh, is all cold. Hypothermia sets in really fast. Um, you you really have to be cognizant. You mentioned we, we talked a lot about ice. You know, I'd say if you are unfamiliar with hunting on ice or creating ice holes, that you find somebody that is because that's not something that I would want to go learn solo uh, unless you've just grown up around it. Safety can't be overemphasized here. You know, you mentioned the layers. Don't wear cotton uh, under your waders. Don't wear cotton undershirts if you can at all help it. If you're going to be in a place where you might get soaked and you're going to be a little ways from from help because it's the time of year where um, like I said, that margin of error is, is gone now, and it's really cold where a lot of us are hunting. Uh, and, you know, go look at the news. You can hit the Google. We've already lost, I'd say, at least a half dozen, if not more, duck hunters this year already. Um, don't be overloading your boats. This is not the time to be pushing any kind of limits. Uh, not that any time ever is, but I'd say that during early teal season, you have a lot more margin of error than you do in January in, uh, I'd say, 90% of the duck hunting country right now. So, Go check out that safety episode that we did as well. Take that to heart. I would, uh, I, I tell you, I carry in my shooting vest. So I have a, you know, a, a, a Delta waiting vest that has uh, pockets and stuff on it that I, I wear. I do keep a fire starter on it. I do keep safety matches. Um, I carry a little torch lighter and I carry an emergency blanket. You know, those are, those are some things that in a pinch will hold you over until help gets there in the event the worst thing happens. Uh, and there, I also carry a flare and a whistle in my pocket. Uh, in my vest, you know, uh, for those times. So keep that in mind. That's kind of what my parting shot will be uh, with the late season hunting. Uh, be safe because it's, it's that time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You, you summed her up pretty good there. I don't really have too much of a parting shot other than, you know, late season as tough as it is, it can be extremely fruitful. And if you want birds for the wall, 
there's no better time to get them than late season. I mean, just last weekend, I had a beautiful pintail sprig, bull sprig. I didn't even see him until I went back and looked at my shot cam. He was 35 yards. This mallard was 25. I keyed in on that mallard. And I, I didn't even see him. There was a pair of them. They were coming right in. I mean, I wouldn't have shot him at 35, but he probably would have came in closer if I had seen him. And then I would be, you know, out. Well, I'd have a use for my tax refund, I guess. But uh, man, I'll show you the pintail on my wall then. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, that's all I want is a nice big bull sprig. Every pintail I've ever shot hasn't had much of a sprig if it's even had one. So yeah, this is definitely a time of year to get your mountain ducks done. Uh, all my nice mountain ducks, the ones that I've got at the taxidermist right now came out of late season um, or later season. Minus my, my uh, Barrow's golden eye. Uh, was in full colors up in Alaska that I, that I sent to the taxidermist up there. But yeah, this is definitely the time of year to get your your uh, ducks, you know, that you want to put for the wall. So, And you, your taxidermist will appreciate that too, because there's less likely to be any pin feathers this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true too. So, all right. Well, you know, I, uh, that's all I've got for this week in the late season. And I'll have uh, hopefully more content coming up for, the Brant, the Brant hunt, the Chesapeake Bay diver hunt late season. And then, uh, also I have to talk to you about my new, my new trophy mount idea that I'm Ooh. pretty excited about. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different, but hopefully it works out. We'll see. I got the first part of it in the mail today. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap that up in a later episode. So other than that, man, I've got nothing else. You want to close it out? Yeah, I guess, uh, real quick, you know, I'm, I'm got a five day trip here for duck hunting planned. And we've got 55, 60 mile an hour winds the next two days. So like I said, you know, hunting those, that different change in weather, it was going from 64 today to 40 tomorrow. I'm kind of excited. I, I think this might be enough change to get whatever ducks in the areas, hopefully to dump in. At least that's, that's why I'm going out. So uh, other than that though, you know, we've got two weeks left in Nebraska. I'm looking really forward to closing it out strong and looking really forward to hearing how your Brant and canvas back hunts go. Those are going to be a blast hopefully for you. I'm excited. It'll be, it's the highlight of my season so far because so uh, up until now it's been pretty slow. <laughs> All Same right. the best for last, but yeah, let's, uh, let's get out of here. And uh, I don't know. You want to take a shot at Ben real quick? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Ben rediscovers his passion for duck hunting and joins us on future episodes of the Foul Front Outdoors. Uh, Thomas is lost in Texas somewhere, actually shooting ducks. So it's good that he's got that <laughs> scratching. And, uh, you know, make sure you go to our Facebook page, like and subscribe. That thing's growing pretty well. It's a pretty happy community of uh, tips and things that you need. Um, and, uh, yeah, check that what's, out. Give us a like. Oh, what's what's that? the na- What's the name of it? Oh, the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast Group. <laughs> Golly. Uh, anyways, it's not the Alex Wallace, you know, Facebook waterfowl group. So <laughs> anyways, if you have any comments, critiques, leave those on the, leave those as well. We do take a look at them. And if you have any topic ideas you want to hear in the future, drop those in the Facebook group or message uh, one of the admins and we'll be happy to get it on there. So that being said, look forward to seeing you on future episodes of the foul front outdoors and I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week.
Fisher where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.